that you've come this morning. I hope you have your Bible, and if you're listening to us by the radio station, if you'll take your Bible down and write down the scriptures that we'll use this morning, let us reason together concerning the Word of God, and study God's Word, and see what God has to say concerning the church of our Lord. I want to discuss the subject with you this morning as we announced last week, why I am a member of the Lord's church, why I'm a member of the church of Christ. If you'll turn to the 26th chapter of the book of Acts, verse 1 beginning, we see that the apostle Paul has appealed to Agrippa. And then Agrippa said unto Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. And Paul stretched forth his hand and answered for himself. And I think myself happy, King Agrippa, that I shall answer for myself this day, touching the things whereof I am accused of the Jews. The Jews had accused the Apostle Paul of being a part of that sect of the Nazarene. They had accused him simply of being a member of the Lord's church. And Paul says, I'm going to answer concerning that. You and I need to take every opportunity that we have concerning why I'm a member of the Lord's church. Just why is it that I believe that the church of Christ is important? In the book of Ephesians, the apostle Paul addresses himself to the importance of the Lord's church in the third division of that book. In verse 10 beginning, he says, To the intent now that under principalities and powers and heavenly places might be made known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's important to God that the church be as it ought to be. I'm a member of the church of Christ because it is important to God Almighty Himself. It is that that was planned and purposed by God Almighty. It is that that was promised. It is that that was placed. And it is that that today might be practiced in our lives. This passage said that it was according to the eternal purpose of God. Men today talk about the church and they think it's unimportant. And yet the Lord deemed it important. Men today talk about the church. They'll say it doesn't matter what church you're a member of, yet the Lord deemed it as important. So important that It was 4,000 years in the planning until it came into existence on the first Pentecost following the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the second chapter of the book of Acts. I want to suggest to you this morning, as time will permit, some reasons why I'm a member of the Church of Christ. You need to be careful that you understand why you are what you are religiously today. You need to be careful that you not only understand why you are what you are, but that you have the right reasons for being what you are 
religiously to die. It's quite possible for one to be something religiously and yet not have the proper reasons for it. But it's important because in the book of Matthew in the 15th chapter of that book in verse 13, Jesus answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. It's quite possible for one to be something religious with today that's not according to the plan of God. And so we need to be careful that we're what we are for the right reasons. I'm a member of the Church of Christ today in the first place because of its creed. The word creed means, or comes from the word credo, means simply, I believe. The Church of Christ has no creed today except the New Testament. We believe the Bible. We believe it to be the Word of God, inspired of God Almighty Himself. And we need no creed other than that. If you go today to the denominations that are in the city of LaGrange, you'll find that some have what they call a discipline, some have what they call a manual, and others have what they call a creed. The Bible states that it is all that is necessary for one religiously. In 2 Peter 1 and verse 3, he says it gives us all things which pertain unto life and godliness. For one to have a creed is to say that God Almighty himself failed when he tried to give man something that man could understand and follow in religion. Discussing creeds with those people in denominational bodies, you ask them, why do you have a creed? Now, there must be a reason for having a creed. What reason is it? Is it that you cannot understand the Bible? In the third division of the Ephesian letter, in verse 4 beginning, Paul said, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge of the mystery of Christ. The Bible is written so that man might be able to understand and obey it. If the Bible is written so that we might be able to understand and obey it, why would we need a creed? If you have a creed, it must be one of three things. It must be the New Testament itself, and there'd be no need for that, would there? Or it must be something short of the New Testament, or it must be something that contains more than the New Testament. If the New Testament is that, that furnishes a man completely unto all good works, as 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says. If the New Testament is that, that furnishes a man unto all things that pertain unto life and godliness, then why have a creed? If one has a creed and it's short of what the New Testament teaches, he's taken away from God's Word. He said that, God does not know what man needs, and so thereby we don't need all that God's given us. If he has a creed that has more than what the New Testament has, he said that God has not given us all that we need to change to life and godliness, and so we need to add to that. We need some additional facts. No, the Bible is self-sufficient. 
In the book of Revelation, in the 22nd chapter of the book of Revelation, in verse 18, he says, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him to the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city, out of the things which are written in this book. If man needs a creed today, then that creed would be only the New Testament. If one has a creed, and he adds something to it, he's added to the words of this prophecy. Somebody says, oh, that's only the book of Revelation. No, sir. Deuteronomy 4 and verse 2, Proverbs 30 and verse 6 say the same thing. God, in the beginning of the Bible, in the Pentateuch, in the middle of the Bible, in the book of Proverbs, and in the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, has said, you don't add to them and you don't take away from my word. My word's sufficient. If anyone has a creed that contains less than that, this says God shall take away his part out of the book of life. You won't go to heaven? Why would man need a creed? The only reason man would need a creed is if God's word is insufficient. That's the only reason man would need a creed. I'm a member of the Church of Christ because it has no creed but the New Testament. And it practices what the New Testament has to say in matters of religion. Secondly, I'm a member of the Church of Christ because it has no foundation but Christ himself. In writing the first Corinthian letter and the third division of that letter, the Apostle Paul in verse 11 says, For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. What do you want to build your religious life on? Do you want to build your religious life on the facts and the opinions as given by men? Or do you want to build your religious life on the foundation of Jesus Christ? Before Christ came into the world, born of a woman, born under the law, Galatians chapter 4, men's foundation for religion was insufficient. There were those animal sacrifices that were offered to take away sin. Those sacrifices could not take it away. The only thing that the sacrifices before the sacrifice of Christ could do is to roll sins forward under the time that Christ came, suffered, and died on the cross. And it was through the blood-saving body of Christ that sins could be taken away. Christ's blood, Hebrews 9 and verse 15, Romans 3 and verse 25, covered the sins of those who had looked forward to Christ in faith and had offered those animal sacrifices. There's no foundation of a religious life except the Lord Jesus Christ that is sufficient. In the fourth chapter of the book of Acts, Peter and John had healed a man by the gate beautiful in Acts 3. They'd been called and the witness concerning this, and in verse 10, the Bible says of the fourth division, Be it known unto you all 
unto all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand hold before you. And this is the stone that was set at naught of you builders, which is become as a corner, and neither is our salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. Jesus is the only foundation of my faith. Now I want to ask you this morning, what's the foundation of your faith? Is the foundation of your faith what man says and what man pleads, or the foundation of your faith, Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. Jesus said, And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, that is the confession that Peter had made, that Jesus was God's Son, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus Christ is the only foundation that's strong enough to stand the test of time and to stand the winds and the rains that will befall any other foundation. The seventh chapter of the book of Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gave the illustration of those who heard his word, heard what he taught while he was here upon this earth, and had failed to look with faith to the cross. And he illustrated that by saying they're like those who build upon the sand. And the winds come and the floods descend and beat upon that house. And he said it failed, and great was the fall thereof. Jesus is the only foundation. Men today have built upon the foundation of men. They build their life, their religious life, on what man says and on men's opinion. This is the reason that denominational churches have creeped. Because they built upon what some man said the Bible said. For one to build upon Christ is to build upon the Word of God. There is no other authority. Thirdly, I'm a member of the Church of Christ today because the Church of Christ uses the Bible as its sole authority for life. Jesus said, All authority hath been given unto me in heaven and on earth. In the first epistle of the Apostle Peter, in the fourth chapter of that epistle, in verse 11, Peter said, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. In writing the epistle to Titus and the second division of that epistle in verse 1, Paul said, Speak thy the things which befit or become sound doctrine. In verse 7 he says the same thing. What is it that people speak today concerning a religious life? The preacher that you listen to, if you're listening to me by radio this morning, will he give you book and chapter and verse for what he says? Or will he say, this is what I think and this is what I feel? You know, there are many people today who are claiming to be preachers of the gospel of Christ. There's only one way to measure them. 
Let's take your Bible and see if what they're saying is in the Bible. There's the only authority for one's life. When we begin to say, I think so and so, we better see what God thinks. Are you interested in what I think? Or are you interested in what God thinks? Are you interested in your feelings? Or are you interested in God's work? Somebody said, well, I feel I'm saved. Well, I feel you're lost. Now, who's right? Let's just base our religion on subjective faith. Who's going to be right and who's going to be wrong? I may feel one thing, you may feel another. There's a standard of authority. That authority is the Word of God. On that we can rely. Somebody says, well, I feel like I'm going to go to heaven. How do you know that? Well, I feel it. What if you feel it and God said you're not? In Matthew 7, beginning verse 21, Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, Lord, I feel like I'm saved. I, I, you know, I've done my best and I've tried to serve you. Does that make a difference? Well, it's true that everyone who goes to heaven will must do their best. And it's true that everyone that goes to heaven must try to serve the Lord to the best of their ability. There are some who will try to go to heaven who can't. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that has done the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy by thy name, and by thy name cast out many demons? By thy name perform many mighty works. Then will I profess unto them, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. What's the problem? Well, they felt like they were saved. They depended on their faithfulness. But the Lord said those who go to heaven will be those who do the will of the Father who is in heaven. doesn't matter what I feel unless my feelings are regulated by the Word of God. I can feel I'm saved and I'll be lost. And so we need to be careful that we understand that the Bible is the only guide and the only authority. Feelings aren't good enough. Somebody says, well, I feel like it's all right to use this to many music. I like it. Are you interested in what the Bible teaches or what you feel like? I enjoy instrumental music also, but there is no place for it in worship. Why? There's no authority for it. We must only do in worship what there's authority for. Ephesians 5, 19 says, Sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. There are two kinds of music. Vocal and instrumental. The Lord said sing and make melody in your heart. He gives you the instrument to use, your heart. He said you're to teach and admonish one another. That's the purpose of such. An instrument cannot teach nor admonish. And so we're to do that for which we have Bible authority. Someone says, well, I say by faith only. Where do you find that? Where's the authority for it? 
You may say by faith only, that's fine with me if you show me battle authority. There's no such thing as being saved by faith only. Faith alone won't do it. James 2.24 says, So then faith without works is dead being alone. Romans 5.1 says we're justified by faith. True. But what kind of faith? An obedient faith, Romans 1 and verse 6. It's not faith alone. For one to add faith alone is to say that you don't need other things. For instance, to be saved by faith alone is to be saved without grace. Now chew that up and swallow it. How can an individual be saved by faith alone and let the grace of God go? You can't do it. It's by grace through faith. You can't be saved by grace alone or by faith alone. And so we need to understand that we must have Bible authority for what we practice in religious matters today. What about the name by which the church goes by our usage? There are those today who call themselves by names that are not authorized in the Bible. We must have Bible authority. This is why we use the name Churches of Christ or Church of Christ. Romans 16, 16 gives us Bible authority for that. We might use the name Church of the Lord or Church of God. Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 gives Bible authority for that. There's no Bible authority for the names that denominations are using today. Where's the Bible authority for such names as Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Catholic? Where's the authority for that? Is that in a creed book or is that in the Bible? The Bible doesn't authorize these kinds of names. We need to do only those things for which there's Bible authority. Peter said, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. Do we want to speak like we feel? Or do we want to do that for which there's Bible authority? For which we can read in the New Testament. Again, in the fourth place, I'm a member of the Church of Christ because of her plea for unity. You know, there are many people today who talk about unity, but how might we really have unity? In the 17th chapter of the book of John, prior to going to the cross, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. In verse 20, he says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one as thou art, Father, in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one, that the world may believe that thou didst send me. Jesus desired that the people who follow him be united, that to be one. In the first Corinthian letter, in the first chapter of that letter, in the tenth verse, he said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. 
There are many people in the religious world today who flee, let's be united. But let's go our way and be united. Let's just try that. Is it possible for us to be united, to be one, and everyone do what they want to do? Can we agree to disagree? The Lord said that you might be one. In the Philippian letter, in the third division of that letter, in verse 16, Paul writes, Nevertheless, whereunto we have already obtained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together with me, and mark them which so walk as you have for an ensample. For many walk of whom I have told you often. And I tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame who mind earthly things. But our conversation is in heaven, whence we also look for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said that we must walk by the same rule. A religiously divided world today says, let's be united. Well, let's just try that. There are those who are Baptists who say that baptism is immersion. There are those who are Methodists that say that baptism is sprinkling or pouring. Can they unite on that? The only way to have unity is to walk by the same rule. The only way that we may have unity is to throw away any sectarian name, any denominational creed book, dogma, discipline, or manual, and take the Bible and let that be our guide. The Bible says that baptism is immersion. The very word baptism itself means to dip, to plunge, to immerse. Everyone in the religious world can be united on the Bible, walk by the same rule. There'll be a basketball game, I'm sure, on television this afternoon. What if Atlanta were playing up in Boston? And Boston had one rule book and Atlanta had another. And Boston's rule book said that rather than throwing the ball in the basket at one end of the court that belongs to the home team and the other end of the court that belongs to the opposing team, that we'll just use one basket. We won't have two. And Atlanta's rule book said we're going to use two baskets just like they do it. Now, what kind of ball game do you think they'd have? How can people be united in Christ when they use one guidebook for one part of them and another guidebook for another part? There's no way that we be united. The only way to be united in Christ is to forget discipline, manuals, creeds, or whatever it might be, Forget what the preacher says unless I find that in my Bible. By the same rule, let us walk. I'm a member of the Church of Christ because it pleads that we be united and be united upon the Bible. The 8th chapter of the book of Luke and the 11th verse. 
The parable of the sower, explaining that parable, Jesus said, the seed is the Word of God. You can take the Word of God and plant that in a man's heart today, and it will bring forth the same thing that it did in the first century. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In Mark 9, in verse 1, he said, There are some who stand here this day who shall not taste death until they see the kingdom come with power. In verse 19, Matthew 18, or Matthew 16, rather, he said that the church was the kingdom. And so there were some standing there that day who would not taste death until they saw the church come. On the first Pentecost after his resurrection, the Holy Spirit came with power upon the apostles and the church was established. The Bible says in verse 41 of Acts 2, They that gladly received the word were baptized, and there was added unto them that day about 3,000 souls. In verse 47 it says, Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those that were being saved. Now I've got a question. What church did the Lord add them to? Were they added to a denomination? Was there a denomination back there in Acts 2? There's no one who would answer in the affirmative. They were added to the church that Jesus promised to be. When one does the same thing today that they did, he'll be added to the Lord's church. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In the 20th chapter of the book of Acts, in verse 28, the apostle Paul had called to him the elders of the church at Ephesus. And he said unto these brethren, Take heed to yourselves and to all the flocks of which the Holy Spirit has made you bishop to feed the church of the Lord which he purchased with his own blood. Now there's a church that's blood-bought. Jesus purchased that with his own blood. He paid the price for it. In the Ephesian letter, in the fifth division of that letter, he says in verse 24 beginning, Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, what church did Jesus purchase with his own blood? It was the one he promised to build. It was the one that was established on the first Pentecost after his resurrection. It was the one to which the Lord added those that were being saved. And we can be a part of that church today. The seed is the word of God. In the sixth chapter of Jeremiah, in the sixteenth verse of that chapter, the Bible says, Thus saith the Lord, 
send ye in the old ways, and after the old paths, where is the good way, and walk therein, and ye shall find rest in your souls. But they said, we will not walk therein. Jeremiah says, go back to the old way. We can go back today to Jerusalem. To the same church that Jesus said in Matthew 16, I'll be on. To the same church that Acts 20:28 says he purchased with his own blood. To the same church that Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25 says that he gave himself for. How can we do that? Seed brings forth after its own kind. Turn to the very beginning of the Bible in the first chapter of the book of Genesis. In the eleventh verse, the Bible tells us that seed yields after its own kind. In verse 24, he says, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind. In verse 25, God made the beast of the earth after his kind. He made the creeping thing after his kind. Seed always brings forth after its kind. You can't take corn seed and get watermelons. Yesterday I bought some seeds for a garden. I bought some cucumber seeds, some lettuce seeds. If I plant those lettuce seeds and they're what they claim to be on the package, they won't bring forth cucumbers. Even my children recognize that. The Word of God will bring forth after its kind. You can be a part of the same thing that there was in the first century. We can restore New Testament Christianity as it was then. Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, He that believeth in his baptized shall be saved. Peter, in carrying out that same commission in Acts 2.38, they cried out, Men and brethren, what shall we do? said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. Verse 41 says, They that gladly received the word were baptized. There was added unto them that day about 3,000 souls. Would you like to be added by the Lord unto His church? If you'll do what they did then, He'll add you unto His church, and you'll have the promises that they had. In Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 4, the Bible says, Wherefore he hath granted us exceedingly precious promises. I can tell you out of my feelings you can do what you want to and be saved, but you don't have that promise from God. We've got to do what the Lord says to be saved and have that promise. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. He that doeth the will of my Father who is in heaven. If you're willing to obey him this morning, won't you come as together we stand and sing.